If you would grab your Bible with me, to turn to James chapter 5. Today we will finish out the book of James together. We have walked through 14 messages in this 15 message series on the book of James. When you find James chapter 5, if you would stand with me, we're going to begin reading in verse 19 together. James writes, My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. God, we ask right now that you would use your word to speak to us. And I pray that you would give us the ears to hear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. My friend Tom and I, we served in Iraq together years ago. And we were both in the same unit. We were extended and sent down from Baghdad to Anajaf, Iraq. And... Um, we were sent down there because there was a situation involving, uh, some of you might remember, Sadr, who was a Shia cleric, but he had raised up a militia army, and that army was taking over police stations and murdering the police officers and then taking all of their weapons caches. And so uh, the 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment was sent down to quell that resistance, and we were attached to the 2nd ACR to help out with the police officers and the police stations. But... Um, when we were in Anajaf, our compound was situated within basically the center of the city, which to me is always a really strange thing to do when you put yourself in the center of a city, being surrounded by everybody that hates you. But nevertheless, that's where we had our compound, and they would regularly take pot shots at us. And so they would be in buildings and mosques uh, that could see over into the compound, and they would take pot shots at us from theirs. Areas, but occasionally they would sit up in, in minarets and they would, they would shoot at us. They would try to pick us off when we were walking around inside of our own compound. So when we were, you know, coming out of the motor pool and walking toward the buildings or if we were walking toward the, the shower trailers, they would shoot. But on this particular day, Tom was, was walking in from the motor pool and there were several other guys that were walking alongside him, all of them heading to the building. And that's when the gunfire erupted beyond the wall. And it was just insane. Bullets began raining down with incredible fury, hitting the dirt, and everyone just scattered. Everybody began running, trying to find cover behind a vehicle or behind a building, and everybody ran except for one person. Um, there was one guy left, stuck out in the middle of the parking lot, and he was shot in the leg, and he couldn't run, he couldn't move. And that's when Tom ran to him ran straight to him without saying a word, picked him up, threw him over his shoulder, and ran to the building and got him to safety. And Tom saved the man's life. I'm convinced of it. When you think about situations like that, you hear stories like that, or you watch movies that involve some sort of heroism, and you think, man, what would I do in that kind of a situation? Would I be willing to put it all on the line? Would I, would I act in that way? I mean, hopefully all of us, we would say that 
that's what we would want to do in that kind of a situation. But the question still persists, is that something that we would do given the opportunity? But we have to ask ourselves, do we do that now? Do we do that in our own lives today? See, it seems so clear in life and death situations, in wartime situations, but, but how many of us have a friend or a brother or sister in Christ who is simply just bleeding out on the battlefield, torn by their own sin, tangled by the barbed wire of lust or greed or pride, and they're so focused on the pain or they're so focused on how they can try and better this situation or their position that they don't even realize the danger that they're in. They've wandered away from Christ. Not every single one of us is going to observe this in our life. We haven't already. You will. And the question still is the same. What will you do? Will you leave them alone to struggle and die? Or will you go to them? Will you pick them up and throw them on your shoulder and carry them to safety? This morning, this is exactly what James is talking about in the text. We are called by God to care for one another, to watch one another's backs, to to carry one another when we can't walk anymore. But first, we must recognize that the threat of a wandering heart is within each of us. The threat of a wandering heart is in every single one of us. Look at that first phrase in the passage. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth. Now, it's important to note that James uses these words. He says, if, and then he says, anyone, and he says, among you. Now, there's two really important words here or, or groupings of words. The first one is the word if. Sometimes we think that wandering away is just part and parcel to the Christian life. We think that wandering away, there's, there's always going to be a period of time that it's natural, it's almost expected that someone is going to, to wander off and do their own thing and, and remove themselves from Christ. I mean, kids who grow up in church, it's almost an expectation that, you know, when they go to college, they're just going to sow some wild oats. I mean, they're going to act crazy, they're going to go to parties, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. But one day, they'll come back around, they'll do the right thing, they'll get serious about Christ again. Or it's in those early years of marriage when you have small children and you think, you know what, man, we really need to get them into church. You know, there's some really good things that the church teaches. We want to get them into VBS. We want to make sure they're doing all the things that they need to do. But then empty nest comes and then there's retirement and then there's so many nice places to go and see. There's, there's so many deer to kill. There's so many fish to catch. There's so many balls to hit with a little club. Or we slide off into apathy. Or busyness. We become distracted by the noise in our world and everything else takes priority from our relationship with Jesus. Our relationship with Christ takes the back seat and everything else becomes focused upon. And we begin sinning in ways that we really had never expected to sin in our lives. But what does James say? He says, if. If. James His assumption is the opposite of that. His assumption is that we don't have to sow the wild oats. We don't have to go into sin. We don't have to be trapped 
by our jobs or by the noise or the distractions in painful relationships. We can be faithful to God through the power of the Spirit. So when trials come upon us or or those times of testing in your life, we can be faithful through them. We can endure. That's what he says in the very first chapter in verses 1 down to verse 4. He says, count it all joy, my brothers. When? When you meet trials of various kinds. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it's through the testing that God can make you faithful. That God can make you stronger. But it's through the testing oftentimes that people lose their way. So he says, if, look at the next phrase. He says, anyone among you. Who do you think, what James is saying, who who is susceptible in James's mind to this wandering activity? Anyone. Anyone. It's not just the people that you would expect. It's not just the people who are absentee from church all the time and we never see. It's not just the people who, who work all the time and are unable to come and attend worship with the church. It's not just the teenagers who have no encouragement from their parents to follow Christ. It's not just the young women who are in abusive relationships or the young men who are experimenting with drugs. It isn't just the homeless person or the super rich person. It's you. It's me. He's talking about church people. He's not talking about lost people here who have no context with Christ, no relationship with God. He's not talking to them. He's talking to you. He's talking to me. He's talking to church people. Throughout this letter he's been writing to the churches. How many times has James called his his audience brothers? Fifteen. In these short chapters. Fifteen times. Friends, every single one of us has the potential to wander away, led by our own desires, captivated by our own passions. The song we sang just a few minutes ago by Robert Robinson was right. He says, we are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Since all of us have this potential to wander away from Christ as a body committed in covenant to one toward one another, we have a responsibility to one another. Then the responsibility of watching belongs to all of us, belongs to all of us. Look at the next phrase. He says, and someone brings him back. Someone brings him back. The one who is wandering, someone Brings him back. Now, how many times have you, have you walked up to a door only to realize that it was locked? There was no sign. But you noticed, oh, it's locked. I need to go find another door. So you turn around. You begin walking in a different direction, maybe around the building. And then you pass somebody. And when you pass that person, you know they're headed toward that do- door that you just checked and it's locked. What do you do? Typically. I mean, most of the time you say, hey, hey, the door's locked. You know, probably the door on the other side is not locked. But you give them a heads up, right? I mean, this is a stranger. You don't have any connection with this person. It's a stranger. It's somebody you don't even know uh, from Adam. But you, you give them that heads up. 
What if it was an emergency? I mean, what if, what if you were inside the building looking for an exit and, and it, the building was on fire and, and, and you're rushing around trying to look for a door to get out? Would, would you say anything to him then when you passed him? Yeah, most likely, right? Of course. Why? Because you would feel some kind of responsibility. You'd feel responsible if that person didn't make it out in time and they died in the fire. You would, you would, you would feel responsible for their death. But remember, this person's a stranger. How much more so should we watch out for those who are in Christ? How much more so should we watch out for one another? Friends, we are not strangers. We're not strangers. We are family. We are blood relatives purchased by the redeeming blood of Jesus Christ. We are unified under the kingship of Christ. We are united eternally. Listen to what Paul says. He says, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in gentleness of spirit. Keep watch over yourselves, lest you too be tempted. And he listen to this. He says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that if someone is headed for a door that leads nowhere spiritually, you have to intervene. It's our responsibility to restore them, to show them why what they're doing will bring them to destruction. And we have to do it in love. This is why our covenant says what it says. Let me remind us all. It says we will cautiously guard against the world's influences while living faithfully for Christ so that we may effectively bear witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It says we will lovingly encourage and if necessary, rebuke one another in the spirit of meekness, keeping watch over ourselves also, lest we too be tempted We will remind one another that in baptism we have been buried with Christ and raised again so that we have an obligation to walk in the newness of life. And it says this as well. We will resolutely protect one another from and personally resist the temptations toward idolatry, pride, jealousy, anger, envy, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, greed, theft, sexual immorality, and addictions. For those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have covenanted together to watch over one another. I'm counting on you to watch over me. And I'm responsible for watching over you. This is what it means to be a body. This is what it means to be connected through Christ. We don't neglect our bodies and allow our arms and legs to do things that will harm them or potentially sever them from our bodies, do we? No. We take care of them. Paul says that bearing one another's burdens fulfills the law of Christ. This law of Christ, it's the law of love. Jesus says that love sums up all of the commandments. It's the hinge upon which the life of a God follower swings back and forth. Remember what he says. He says, you shall love the Lord your God. This is Jesus. With all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
James says it like this. Someone brings them back. Someone brings them back. It means turns them back. Calls them to repentance. If we love someone, we can't simply watch them make mistakes. They could cost them everything. We must intervene. We must step up. We must watch our own hearts, friends, because within each of us is the tendency towards sin. But because we have come into covenant with one another through the blood of Christ, because we are a people, one body with one head, we have the responsibility to watch over each other. And lastly, the promise of warning can save us from trouble. Look what James says. He says, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I think that sometimes we get confused when it comes to grace and truth. When someone is in obvious error or tendency, our tendency, unless we just love conflict, which I don't know about you, but I don't like conflict. I don't thrive on conflict. Our tendency then is to become very gracious people. We want to be gracious. But what do we mean when we say we just want to be gracious people? Well, it means maybe we don't have all the facts. And so we don't say anything. Or maybe we think, hopefully they're going to see their error. And when they see their error, one day they'll, they'll turn around. They'll do the right thing. Or, or we assume maybe it just isn't as bad as it appears on the outside. Or we think... I don't want to make that person angry. I don't want to make them upset. But friends, that, that response, that's not grace. That's presumption. It's presumption upon God. It's presumption upon His righteousness. It's presumption upon His grace. Grace is God's goodness given to people even though they deserve punishment for their sins. And God only gives grace through the gospel. It's the only way that grace comes to us. A couple of years ago, Kim and I, we, we were trying to sell our house for a very long time, and uh, we'd received a phone call, and both of us were very excited. We had a possible renter um, waiting in the wings. The house had been empty for almost a year, and we'd been trying to sell the thing for about seven years and was unsuccessful up to that point. But we got this call from this young woman that we used to know very well. Uh, she, was, uh, she, attended, she was a member of our, our previous church. And Kim actually taught her when she was a little bit of a girl, when she was a GA, and, and we were able to watch her grow up, and, and it was just a really neat call, and we, we were really excited to be able to, 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 to rent that house to her, because her and her boyfriend, who is now his, her fiancé, were planning to be married later that year, and they were going to rent the home and eventually live there. So we were excited. And for us, it looked like it was an answer to prayer, but then we discovered that she and her boyfriend were intending to live in the house together before the wedding. And so, I mean, what a conundrum right there. Just a, I mean, we could, we could have used the money. We really could have used the money. It was, it was a burden financially for us. And if we confronted her, she might respond very poorly. She might get very angry, maybe never talk to us again. But how could we knowingly enable two professing Christians to live in fornication in our house? Would that be gracious? To not say anything? To just let it happen? To just be silent and take the money and pay for our mortgage? Would that be gracious? No. No, that wouldn't be gracious. 
Because grace only comes through the gospel. Grace only comes through repentance and faith. The only gracious thing to do was to confront. So Kim called her and said, I love you too much to help you sin in this way. The remarkable thing about the story is not our decision to do the hard thing because confrontation is always the hard thing. It's not the easy thing to do. It's easier just to keep your mouth shut. But the remarkable thing about the story is not our decision to do the hard thing, but, but it's the grace of God to restore. That's what's amazing. James said, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wanderings will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And God used the truth of his word to bring about grace in their lives. They listened. They heard us. And they didn't live together before they were married. John tells us that Jesus was, is full of grace and truth. Does that mean that Jesus never confronted people about their sins? No. Does it mean that, that Jesus failed to speak the truth plainly? No. Does it mean that Jesus just harshly spoke to people about truth and never really cared about them? No. It means that because he was gracious... He told the truth in hopes of bringing people to repentance. Grace and truth. Being gracious doesn't mean that we silently ignore our brothers and sisters when they sin. It doesn't mean that we forsake the truth or mind our own business. Being gracious means that we don't want them to suffer the damage that their sin is going to cause them. Being gracious means that we tell them the truth, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it hurts. Being gracious means that we gently speak truth in love and in so doing, save wandering souls from death and cover a multitude of sins. And all of us have the potential to wander away from Christ. As a body committed in covenant toward one another, we have a responsibility toward one another. We have to watch over one another. We have to rebuke one another when necessary, correct one another, encourage one another to be more faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Because when we do, by God's grace, we may just save souls from death. So this morning, where are you with the Lord? Maybe you're the person that's wandering away from the Lord. Maybe you've been wandering for a very long time. You're making decisions that you know contradict what he says in his word. You're, you're in secret sin, perhaps. You look good on the outside, but deep inside, you're far from the Lord. Or maybe it's just life and busyness and all of the things that go into to a schedule or to school or to work. Those things have, have become a wall between you and God. You've walked away so long that you feel disconnected from him. Friends, this morning, I urge you, turn back. Turn back. Let these words that we sang just a few minutes ago be true of you. He says, oh, oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily, I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Pray that God's grace would constrain you. Pray that his goodness would shackle your heart to him. Never to let go. Maybe you have a person in your life 
that you know has wandered away from the Lord? Are you presuming upon the Lord and his patience? Are you presuming upon the Lord and his grace or his righteousness? Are you being silent? Or are you being gracious to them? Are you gently telling them the truth and sincerely seeking to bring them back to repentance? Is that what you're doing? Friends, all of us are in danger of wandering. We must watch out for one another. And by God's grace, save one another from destruction. I love that final verse we sang. It is the hope that we all have. It says, oh, that day when we're free from sinning. And I shall see his lovely face, full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass, for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. Together. Let's go together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in your wisdom you would help us as a people that we would be a people deeply concerned with one another. That we would be a people who have covenanted together to care for one another, to watch over one another, to strengthen one another when we're faltering and when we're tempted. Lord, that we would not be a people who, who isolate ourselves in individualism, but that we would be a people that embraces community and accountability. Lord, if there are those here this morning that are far from you, believers but have wandered way off, doing things that they know are sinful, living a life that is absent of any kind of relationship with you, I pray, God, that you would convict them of their sin, that you would show them that you are gracious to those who respond in faith. Pray that you would grant them repentance. God, for those of us who are watching over one another, I pray, Lord, that you would give us courage and that we would truly be gracious in the way we respond to those who are wandering, that we would be like our Lord Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.